On today's Believe in Chicago Sports podcast, we break down another clunker for the Bears as they fall to the Saints in overtime. And then we break down the confusing and odd hiring of Tony Larusa as the next manager of your Chicago White Sox. All that and a whole lot more on episode 16 coming up now. Welcome in to the Believe in Chicago Sports podcast with myself, Dan Collins, and my lovely co-host, Joey Gelman. You can follow the show on Twitter at Believe in Chicago for myself and Joey. You can find us on Twitter as well. I am at TweetDanCollins, and he is at Joey Gelman. Well, let's get right to it. Almost just as I scripted up for the Chicago Bears, Joey, oh, so close. They gave us so much faith, headache, sweats. I don't know what I was confused. It, it's what's what's really weird about these Chicago Bears games all season long, especially leading up to this point. You feel now that you have a little bit of a understanding of what this team is. They have if there's one thing they at least lack, they lack rhythm from time to time, but they do have a rhythm. It's just this inconsistent, clunky train moving its way along, trying to get to the finish line. And it's exactly what we saw today. And it was no shocker that it was extremely close. And what was the biggest lead? 10 points, 13 to 3 at one point. You felt like that lead probably wasn't going to get any bigger. And then before you know it, 20 unanswered points by the New Orleans Saints. And you had to look at that graphic. What did, did you see the graphic that kept passing by about Drew Brees breaking Tom Brady, another mm-hmm. active players? <laughs> Pretty wild. So we'll, we'll see. We'll probably see twenty thousand breaking uh, news graphics tomorrow when Tom Brady throws a couple touchdowns of his own. But anyways, back to the Chicago Bears game here today. And I don't think you were surprised, Joey. I don't think any Bears fan was. We got close. The, the The most surprising thing in that game was probably a Kyra Santos 51-yard field goal that he made twice, <laughs> courtesy of a timeout. Then he had to redo it all over again. And then he kicks the Bears into overtime, promising things on offense from here to here. And what, we'll get into that. There was, a, there was a promising run by David Montgomery. There was a promising big pass play. Finally, they're capable of it to Mooney. But... Other than that, you they couldn't put enough together to beat the New Orleans Saints. Shocker. No, not. No, unfortunately not at all. And and, and I think you're you're right. It's it's just this clunky thing. You keep watching, try to get better. And you had a couple of plays there where you hit you hit Mooney, you hit Robinson, you have a nice run by Montgomery. But then that was kind of it. And and, and everything else faltered and we'll get into you know a tale of two halves and what the third quarter brought to this team and meant to this team which is an implosion of grand proportions but you you saw once again a, a, a team that is decimated by injury in the offensive line and I think we're we're starting to really see the true impact of that and you couple that without having Tariq Cohen and trying to put Cordero Patterson in a role he's not meant to be in and that combination is just spelling doom and gloom for anything they want to run. And that's where I think those Brian Greasy comments come back again today of you have a team going out there and by the middle of that game when Bobby Massey went down, you had three out of five stars on your offensive line out. And you're still trying to call plays that aren't reflective of who the talent is on the field. 
and that came back to hurt them. That forced Nick Foles to have tremendous amount of pressure on him, throwing off his back foot, not being able to scramble out of the pocket, and it just it just spelled doom and gloom, and it's just another blow to this team offensively because now that's the storyline, and, and and you saw it again today. The, the defense is the only reason they were in the game. It's plain and simple. It was so frustrating. Even Javon, Javon Williams wanted to throw punches. He was just ready to kick ass out there, apparently. Yeah, right? Don't, Jeez. If you ever run into Anthony Miller on, on the street, don't don't put your finger or anything like that in his face because Javon, Javon Wims will come out of left field and strike you with a couple sucker punches eventually. What, <laughs> what the hell was that? Let's just get into that for one or two quick minutes. What in the absolute hell was that? That was bad. I mean, I know he was, I, I know he's trying to stand up for his guy and Miller and 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 the CB got in his face, but you just you you can't do that because you no. know you're going to get kicked out, you know it's going to be a penalty, you know you're probably going to be suspended, and you could even be cut the next day. Like you can't you can't do something that stupid. This isn't hockey. That this is not what you do. And you could break your hand punching a helmet. Yeah, it, it was dumb. It's and then horrible. immediately after that, ball don't lie interception. No. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and I hate to say this. I really do because it's a reoccurring theme. I wish it wasn't a reoccurring theme, but there were more bad sequences offensively. There were more head scratch play calls than there were good offensive sequences. Then there were good offensive play calls. I mean, thank God we finally put something up for 20, 30 plus yards to Mooney early on, but that was it right after that play that led to finishing that, that drive with a score. Then it's like screen pass to Patterson, more head scratching plays, quick three and out. And what (laughs) again? Why? I don't necessarily mean that rhetorically because that's it, it, just going to be a head scratcher the, the, the whole way. And well, why are you running screenplays to linemen that are fifth string and can't block? Like you got You got to understand who's out there because this is the way this. <laughs> Thank is you, the way. baby Yoda. You know what? That line, I think we talked about that last show, didn't we? That that's Matt Nagy to a T. I know he has his BU slogan that, that, that he coined, but it, it's the way. I mean, honestly, I mean that jokingly. It's a little tongue in cheek, but it's the truth that it's just his way, and it's just the same thing over and over again. I wish it was a little different, but it is not. It is a subpar offensive line with a okay quarterback, good offensive weapons out there that you struggle to get it to. Nick Foles didn't have too much time. I, I I don't know if he told the broadcast group today of Troy Aikman and, and, and Buck that um he's still doing some head scratchers when Matt Nagy's calling him plays, but he didn't have a lot of time out there. Thankfully, it was it was cool to see Mitch out there. I love that psych. Um, <laughs> that that was fun. It was weird when I saw him in there. I was like, what is going on? And they tried taking a, a play out of the New Orleans Saints book and maybe running some Taysom Hill type of stuff, but it's <laughs> when you hear. This is how you know the Chicago Bears situation is bad. I don't know if it was Buck or Aikman who brought it up on the broadcast. It was one of them, and it might have even been both of them along the way. But this is how you know the Chicago Bears situation is bad when 
maybe if not once, but multiple times on the broadcast, and even so maybe last week, correct me if I'm wrong, they might have made brought this up last week, but when you start pointing out reasons why it may be better to go back to Mitch Trubisky, you know what kind of state the Chicago Bears are in. If you're starting to question whether or not you should bring Mitch Trubisky off the bench and back onto the field, whether it be for a few plays, whether it be just once again permanently under center for the foreseeable future, you know you're in a very bad place. And the Chicago Bears are. Sure, if they wanted to play a little bit of freaking offense during overtime, we could have snuck out with another victory. But that that just tells you everything you need to know, that the past few games you've been coming up with reasons for why maybe Mitch Trubisky should be in the game. And we all know why Mitch Trubisky is not in the game. Hence, you're not in a good place if you're trying to find ways to justify why he should be back out on the field. Right. I mean, this was this move is supposed to be the veteran quarterback that we know his ceiling, but is supposed to be competent enough to make the smart decisions, the smart plays that Trubisky wasn't able to, to do. And you see now in a couple of weeks that those are the, the, the wrong decisions are being made and the mechanics are, are faltering and there's wild throws, interceptions and easy misses. And, and you're, 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 you're starting to just wonder about everything. And I, I, I don't know how you answer that question. I mean, I know the broadcasters were getting sick of talking about it and watching this team as much as we were tonight. But I, I don't know where you go there because there are many places tonight where you go, boy, if he could run, they'd be in much better shape. But then the guy that runs, we shipped out of town at every chance we had in talking about him. Is it just me or every time David Montgomery is running, he's just looking like – it's just nothing but closed holes that are supposed to be there. And like, he's almost like just juking around, like, maybe I could go here. Maybe I could go. It just always looks like a broken down play because it is. But he's like happy feet out there because it's like, maybe I go left, maybe I go right. The hole was supposed to be here, but it's not. So I guess I might go this way. Maybe I cut back that way. You feel bad for the guy. He's constantly looking for a hole. And sometimes he'll find a way. Sometimes he'll break through. Or he'll, he'll make a little bit of something out of, out of nothing. But that's just every time David Montgomery gets handed the ball, he's just stepping this way, stepping that way. And it's because nothing is there. Right. Nothing is there. And I mean, I think that's why everyone, any many fantasy owners, I'm not one of them, but many fantasy owners of David Montgomery are pissed for two years because I was last year. There you go. Me. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, okay, Matt Nagy's your, your coach. You have a dynamic running back. This is going to be fun. This is going to be the. Kareem Hunt, Tariq Hill kind of show, and they just have no lineman to block for it. And anything creative now goes to Patterson, and if I know that, the other defenses know that. So it's not even catching them off guard. I will – I'm trying to figure this out, and maybe I'm just overthinking it. Maybe it's a very simple solution is I'm just trying to think of a style of offense. And I know we did this even a couple shows ago, actually, now that I'm thinking about it again, it's just trying to stick with the run, stick with the run. But even if you do try to stick with the run, Montgomery is just happy feet out there because he can't figure out where the hell the hole is. What the hell do you do on offense? I mean, really, what the hell do you do? You give it to Montgomery who 
you know, if you stick with it, potentially maybe we'll see a running back like him rush for over the century mark this season. But the holes just aren't there for the majority of the time. Screenplays, bleh. I mean, we we can't really throw the ball deep. We finally did it one time today successfully. What can you really do? Put Mitch Trubisky back in there just so he because he's the one who knows how to find Allen Robinson to, left and right. I mean, really, that's what kind of offense do you have if the offensive line for the most part is pretty broken? They they can't they can't give you enough holes up front to run. They don't give you nearly enough time. <laughs> and when the pocket breaks down and you have Nick Foles back there, I hate to say it, and they did mention this on the broadcast. This is one of the points. I hate to say it, but Mitch Trubisky is better in that situation. If the pocket is going to break down from time to time, it may be better to have Mitch out there. And I hate to say it, like, how do you want to talk about it? Because that's just that's not where you want to be with this football team, but that's where you're at. And then you had many other moments today. I'm sure you did, Joey, where you feel bad for this defense. Like, oh, my goodness. 20-plus points, but, I mean, they, they gave it their all today. I mean, they 26-23 defeat, but what the hell else did you want from that defense? I mean, really, what, what else did you want? They couldn't yeah. have given you much more. No, they, they, were, they were great, and, and I think that was Roquan Smith's best game of the year i i think he was all over the field and making tremendous plays and 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 showing you why he was worth every every penny at that eighth pick in the draft and so that's encouraging but it's it's the same story it's it's these guys are really good and they get no help and even the offensive guys are sick of this too i mean i i'm starting to think when everyone says like stand allen robbins and do all this stuff I don't think it's the Bears. No, but I don't think it's the it's the Bears that aren't doing it. I don't think he wants to stay here. Why would you want to stay Uh-oh. here? Like, it's it's horrible. Like he had to excuse himself from the offensive meeting on the sideline today yeah. and just went to the corner and had a moment with himself to cool off because it's like, what else can we do here? This is this is embarrassing. It is one hundred percent. And at sorry, least they put up double digits in the second half. I guess. Come on, what else do you want from this team? Oh God! Can but, you stop asking for so much. I'm sorry, I have high expectations. But but to answer your your question quickly uh, about what do you do in this offense, I think it's exactly what you did the first drive of the game before Bobby Massey got hurt. I think it's you know you have a bad offensive line, so you do quick plays, you do slants, you do quick three step job. When you have a good run, finally, you know what you do the next play? A play action. Oh, my God. What is a play action? Instead, they just run the ball again or they'll pass it in shotgun again. And you're not keeping anyone honest. You got to you got to or or then they'll go back to, oh, we had three good plays in a row. Let's do a screen and a sweep pass. It's like, no, just keep it in a simple pattern. I mean, I'm I'm not relating this Bears team to the Titans, but there's a clear uh, resemblance here of. You tried to do way too much with someone like Ryan Tannehill in Miami. You could never get get the best out of him. And while, yes, the Bears don't have a, a, a Derrick Henry like he has now in Tennessee, it's the idea of you built an offense that works with the talent you have. And you talked about it last week, and so did I. And and you got to realize that if you don't have Patrick Mahomes, you have to make a different kind of offense that works for this and get the best out of it to where Tannehill's an AFC championship game and the Bears are creeping up to that scary five and four mark that we talked about when they were five and one. 
Yeah, I know that Green Bay just had to go and lose today and just keep it close, didn't they? Right? <laughs> if there's one thing we haven't seen yet with the Chicago Bears team, we've yet to see a game where Matt Nagy doesn't revert back to that type, like almost immediately, like you said, right? Good, good deep pass. Good run by Montgomery. What do we do now? We run play action. No, we don't. <laughs> we do a screen or we, or we just try to run it right back up the gut again. It's, there's nothing where you play off that. And how many times am I going to see a third and short or even like a fourth and short out of the shotgun or something goofy like that too? It's just, it's unreal. The, 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 the type of stuff you're seeing with the Chicago bears and, Big underdogs as of late. I mean, I think they were. I'm, I'm not that big of a gambling man, but the past two weeks they've been they've been really big underdogs, and I've put money on them both times because I trust the defense. I, I think that the defense is going to win them another game. But that's what's funny is the past couple of weeks when I put money on the Bears because of the good odds, my. My theory is and my trust is with the defense, right? It has nothing to do where, oh, well, maybe Nick Foles will have a – like maybe he'll come out and have a good game today or, you know what, they've, they're, they're going to figure this out on offense. It's, no, you know what, this might be the one where everybody's not on the Bears. and The, the, the whole nation is with the Saints or, you know, the, the nation is with, you know, the Rams. No, 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 this is where the offense or somebody – no, it's – it's all defense in my head. I think the defense eventually will maybe win us by themselves, just as a unit alone, will probably win the Bears one or two more games this year. But they're going to need a little bit more damn help <laughs> along the way if you want it to be more than just a couple just a couple wins, courtesy of them. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it's the same story. When we look at it all year, for the last billion years as a Bears fan, it's... You, you, you look at a game like that, you, you never look at it with the optimism and confidence of this team is going to score and win the game. It's their defense, who, by the way, isn't supposed to score, has to do the damage and, and score for them. It's, it, it's a sad fate we live in as Bears fans and as Illinois fans. I'm just kind of, we needed to like have like fan free agency and, and find some new teams. This is getting ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, even when we got to overtime, I said, all right, well, where's the pick six? <laughs> you just don't trust the offense at all. No. You just don't trust them to keep things going. But just couldn't, couldn't, ask, for, couldn't ask for much better out of the defense. And no. I, I think we drew it up perfectly, Joey, that that's what it was. Can we, that, that was our prediction. Yeah. Can we talk about that third quarter meltdown, though? I know we want to get to White Sox at some point. But can we talk about can that third really? quarter meltdown? Well, we don't want to do that either, I guess. Nothing more positive. That's but uh, no, but the third, like the third quarter, kind of self implosion. I think is just kind of a microcosm of the whole year season. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. And, and it, it it's it just worries me more because it's one thing when Negi as a play caller is in question, and we when we haven't, but we haven't questioned him as a head coach. And I worry in this kind of instance, the the combination of a delay of game and pre-snap penalties and miscalling a play, then resulting, so <laughs> and then and then the next play, the, now his players don't have the awareness to move the ball and they get a sack. Then there's a false start. Then the Saints score. Then you have the Wims incident, which is mind-boggling, idiotic, and 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 then you lead to an interception. And it's like there's just this consistent undisciplined approach to the games, and it's kind of even Aikman said it. 
there's a lackadaisicalness, if that's the word, of this offense and how they run things. And it's just nothing is is clicking. There's pre-snap penalties. They're in the same plays that keep that, 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 that don't work. They're not in a hurry. There's just not an urgency. And, and it just it gets frustrating to watch. Like it's 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 just boring and annoying and clunky. And I just I I I I know I sprayed a lot of fields there, but it's just it it's it comes down to two questions of how do we view this offense and also how do we view Nagy now as a head coach and can he make sure this team stays in line after something like this tonight where you went into a game having a 13 to 3 lead and your own implosion caused you to lose and then you don't have the skill set to then come back even though they scored a couple in the fourth I know but fully come back and I think by them losing, it almost opens up the narrative more for us to see into that problem versus giving them a pass because they because they won. I think well, one, you're 100 percent correct. If if they came out victorious, mm, probably still look into it. There's definitely still some questions there, but not maybe not as spotlighted. And yeah, you know what? If anything, that that's that is the lead of this ball game. If you're going, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to rewrite the story or whatnot, it's it is those lackadaisical moments. If anything. Everything leading up to this point, there were so many questions about Matt Nagy, the play caller. However, you had questions today about Matt Nagy, the play caller, and just as the leader, as the head coach, who is supposed to keep that team focused, both in terms of don't get sloppy penalties, don't throw punches out on the field, be aware, have fantastic game awareness, know what's going on. Know what time? Know how much time is on the clock. Just everything. Just a well-rounded football team. Just be aware. And there were a few times today in the game the Bears weren't incredibly aware. At least it didn't look that way out on the field. And you can't help but now draw up some question marks there. I mean, it sucks. I'm I'm tired of constantly putting another question mark after another when it comes to Matt Nagy. But now there's one next to him as the head coach. What the hell's going on out there? And there was a couple of head scratchers the past couple of seasons here and there. You know, he he wasn't perfect uh, up to this point, but you just hate to see them pile up because if there's anything you don't need, it's like, can we get one part of this game right? He's he is a huge input on the offense. Please, like, could something go right? If if that's not going right, offensive line wise, if that's not going right, quarterback play, if that's not going right. Everything else, like, what will go right? Nothing. <laughs> and up to this point, not too much has been. And that's where you find yourself here today. Um, over 500, still up up there at the top with the Green Bay Packers, because like I said, they wanted to lose today to the Vikings, which is fine. Good for us, but you're, you're still very pessimistic, probably, looking forward. And rightfully so. Sorry, Bears. Yeah, and and it's just a tale of of regression, and it's just annoying to see because it's two yeah. years now that it's kind of gone backward. You're supposed to be in the upward yeah. trend. You're not supposed to keep growing. You're supposed to be there now and competing for division titles, conference championships, whatever it may be. And they're just they're not in that upper echelon. And that's what it goes back to your first thing you said about we're sitting here now at. And looking at their record at five and five and three, and there's literally a legitimate argument to talk about Mitchell Trubisky again. 
That's how <laughs> that's how bad it's gotten yeah. offensively with Foles. And and I I don't mean that as a huge knock on Mitch, but buddy, I'm sorry. At least for at least for the Chicago Bears, you're not it. So that's why it's like when you're when you're thinking about putting back, putting you know putting Mitch Trubisky back in the game for more than just a couple of cute plays, it just doesn't sit right with me because it's like, no. oh, come on. Yeah, it just, it's just it's the same old song and dance. I mean, hell, they showed the damn, the, the, they didn't do the mean graphic of 50 quarterbacks in, in 10 years, but they did do one with Sid Luckman, meaning it's a black and white oh, 1940s video as your best quarterback. <sighs> and then secondly, just sitting there and being a smart fan and going, okay, the Bears played the Saints to get to the Super Bowl in 2006. Mm-hmm. Drew Brees was their quarterback. Still mm-hmm. is their quarterback in 2020. And who is mm-hmm. and, and what's the Bears' lineage <laughs> been of quarterbacks since that since Super Bowl that. with Grossman? And that Ugh. and that can tell you everything you need to know just in that time span, let alone the entire existence of the franchise. Oh man, you <laughs> you brought up Sid Luckman. I just had to. I know exactly who Sid Luckman is. I know the era he played in. I get it, but I still just. For the hell, for the hell of it, just went on ahead and did a wiki search, and I look at the year he was born, nineteen sixteen. So arguably the Bears' best quarterback in the history of the franchise was born over a century ago. Arguably the best quarterback they have ever had was born over a century ago. Yep, it's beautiful. That's where we're at. <laughs> but everybody's going to tell me I'm wrong. Because the best quarterback actually in franchise history was not born over a century ago. It was somebody who was born in Santa Claus, Indiana, by the name of Jay Cutler, you would probably argue maybe, is the best quarterback in franchise history. But the best quarterback in franchise history is literally up between Jay Cutler, who had a very fine, somewhat above average NFL career, and Sid Luckman, who was born in 1916. I know we talk about it all the time, but when you put it when you put it like that, it just makes you feel so damn upset. Like there's franchises out there who their top, like their number five, like their fifth best quarterback of all time, I'm sure is better than Jay Cutler. Oh, easily. Easily. Like you can find many of franchises, I'm sure, out there like that. I mean, you're talking about look at it back when the Bears defeated the Saints in that in that playoff game. Drew Brees, but you also look at names who have been around forever. Tom Brady, I know he wears a different jersey this season, but still with the Patriots forever up until this season. You look at Brett Favre transitioning things to Aaron Rodgers. I mean, since I've been a Chicago Bears fan, the Green Bay Packers have only had two quarterbacks, full-time quarterbacks. They went from Brett Favre when I was a young, when I was a younger lad to Aaron Rodgers, and that's all I know. <laughs> and now we're getting into this ugly discussion about Bears quarterbacks and what the other teams out there look like. That's just what it is. The whole time I've been growing up since this year, it's only been Tom Brady in New England. It's only been Drew Brees in New Orleans. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, I'm over this. All right, I guess we can talk. I guess we can talk White Sox. Screw this. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. It. It's, it's like the Cubs, right? I mean, I know they broke their their quote unquote curse, but it's the idea of. Okay, it was over 108 years. You had to get lucky once in that span, right, to win a World Series, and they never right. did. Same with the yeah. Bears. It's like they are the founding franchise of the NFL. They couldn't get lucky once with a Hall of Fame quarterback? I mean, the only Pro Bowl quarterbacks for them are McMahon and Trubisky. Yeah. 
Because Cutler got hurt the years he was good. That's insane. Trubisky (laughs) and McMahon. Yeah. And even they won even the year they won the Super Bowl, McMahon wasn't there. No. He, he didn't play all 16 games. What was it, like half the season or something like that? It's just, it's amazing. All right, let's move on. I'm sorry. I'm getting angry. That's where we're at. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if you'll get happier over this topic, but uh, all you Chicago sports fans listening, I take it you have some interest in Chicago sports if you're listening to the Believe in Chicago Sports podcast by Dan Collins and Joey Gelman. Um, but you would notice... This weekend, or before the weekend hit, big news on the south side for the Chicago White Sox. Tony La Russa. What year was he born? Uh, where, where I'm looking up uh, Sid Luckman's date of birth. Uh, Tony La Russa named the new manager of the Chicago White Sox. Joey, great move. The reaction didn't look uh, too pleasant out there if you looked at social media and everything else. And apparently there was this email circulating to where when they put out the, hey, Tony La Russa is our manager email. There was an AJ Hinch mm-hmm. autograph put in there. That, that's awesome. Oh, that's interesting. Um, but nonetheless, Tony La Russa here. Renteria is out. La Russa is here. We said it probably a few times on the show. I don't know why that name's being thrown around. I highly doubt he goes to the south side. He is on the south side. He's managing this club that probably almost any manager out there on the market would have signed on the dotted line to manage. And they went with LaRusso, who last managed in a in a dugout for the St. Louis Cardinals back in 2011. Joe, your thoughts? I got I got a few. Yeah, I would think you do as the resident Sox fan on the show. So I'll take it as the non-Sox fan who's probably just as pissed off as you are. Uh, I I, I I said from the beginning, and you can see on my Twitter and our past shows, of this would be literally the worst hire you could possibly make if you're the White Sox. And I'm just shocked they they did it. I, I, I... I guess Jerry Reinsdorf can only allow one rebuild fully to go through under his watch. And the Bulls, that finally, I mean, I guess they're more under Michael now. But, I mean, this was just the epitome and the antithesis of everything you've done for the last couple of years building this team. And when you fire Ricky Renneria, that means you're hiring the guy that's going to win you the World Series. This is your Joe Madden hire. And instead of allowing your general manager who's built this team to pick the guy he wants... It, this Jerry Reinsdorf steps in and is like, I want to write a wrong for 30 years ago. I want, I want my guy Tony. And this was a completely Jerry Reinsdorf hire. Rick Hahn would have never hired this guy in, a, in, in any scenario. And his, his credentials, yeah, if, if you look on paper and you go, all right, a Hall of Fame manager wants to coach, uh, wants to manage this team. Yeah. Great. But hey, it's. Hey. <laughs> but it, but but it's a guy that hasn't managed in a decade and is outdated, yeah. and his 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 cultural and political views and, and 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 style views on the game of baseball as a as as how you're supposed to act the proper way and sincere and all it's like it's so ass backwards and against everything this team stands for and 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 his comments on Black Lives Matter and and Colin Kaepernick and yeah. and the idea of not wanting to pimp a home run too much. Only if it's sincere, well, why does he get to choose what's sincere and putting people in their place? And it's like, why, why are we, I'm sorry, this is a rant, but why, like, why are we turning back the clock on this to go back to 1970 to, to, to bring in a manager like that? I, I just, I, I, yeah. I'm shocked and amazed that Rick Hahn is still employed right now and that he didn't resign day of, because if, if I know you don't want to give up your job in baseball, but 
You built something really special. This is going to be one of the best teams in baseball, one of the most exciting teams in baseball, and you just are cut off at the knees, and you can't hire a manager that's going to win you a World Series because you have to get your your owner's friend because the owner's aging and doesn't want to leave on bed. I I don't know. It was just – it was horrible, and I feel terrible for you, so I apologize. Yeah. Oh, boy. (laughs) Where where do I begin? Um. You know, I I think I'll be, I think I'm honestly a little less upset than you are, to be honest. Wow! Only because I know I I don't I didn't think you were going to expect that, but I'm glad with the way our show schedule lines up that we had a I had a few days to really think this over. And if there's one thing I'm honestly happy about, I'm glad at the reasons why, from what it seems like, at least the fans who voiced their opinion via social media and other public platforms and the reaction that we're getting, you know, not even just in Chicago over the Tony La Russa hire. I'm glad at the reasons behind it. Like you said, nobody is second guessing the resume, right? Like, okay. Hall of fame manager was a third most winning coach ever has the most wins of any coach that's alive on the planet right now. The, the resume is there. He knows the game of baseball. But like you said, it's more or less his thoughts on the game, his thoughts about social issues, or at least what he's on the record of saying, which in his last press, con- his last, in his introductory press conference, apparently he's changed the script on those views. I don't know what's necessarily changed from you know his one of his most recent comments earlier in the year, just this year in 2020. Um, to where we're at now at the latter half of the of the year. But I'm happy about that because if there's one thing the new generation of baseball fans are willing to do and want to do, you being included in this bucket as not a Sox fan but a baseball fan, is you're ready to move on. You're ready to not complain about what pimping a home run is. You're ready to have fun with the game, right? This isn't your – grandfather's baseball team anymore where you have to play it a certain way and respect for the game means this it's we're ready to have fun we're ready to bring a young crowd in to enjoy this game and there was one thing strategy wise because there's a few things positive that i want to bring up in terms of tony la russa strategy wise but first i'm going to mention the one that i had the most problem with to be honest, and it goes back to the Fernando Tatis pimping of the home run. It's not necessarily that he's going to judge the celebrations of it, but, and I wrote this down as I was listening to the press conference, and part of his respect for the game, he respects this, he respects that, he you know he doesn't necessarily believe in running up the score, and I pumped the brakes there. I said, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I wanted, and I don't know if a reporter did, maybe I tuned out of the press conference um, when this question was asked, or maybe a follow-up wasn't, but what do you mean by that? What do you mean respect the game in terms of not running up the score? Get out there and get get as many runs as you want, because that was the big problem with the Tatis Grand Slam is, oh, you didn't even have to swing, you should have taken the pitch there, and now you're showboating it, and get off it. (laughs) These players are paid, whether, like, when their contracts are up, whether they resign with the White Sox, whether they go somewhere else, they're paid on their ability to produce on the field 
defensively, offensively. And if you want to give yourself the best chance of getting the the highest paid contract or the more of the or the more comfortable the most comfortable contract out there for you, you need the data. You need to show the ribbies. You need to show the home runs. You need that quantitative data to show. Just stop this running up the score. Is the other team going to quit too? Are they going to not come back against you? So there was that. Um, and of course, there's th- this team's very outspoken. Tim Anderson, leader of the club, he, he's out there on social issues and he voices his opinion and, and rightfully so. And I think that as a society, for the most part, we're, we're less, we're getting less and less to stick to sports culture and more and more with the players and the way they want to, insp- they want to express themselves. I personally think that's fantastic. And you just hope there's no halt in that, right? I'm not sure if there will be, but that's the biggest issue. If Larusa could get into that that clubhouse, garner enough respect, and just simply be the strategic mind that pulls the strings and legitimately just lets the club be what they are with five buttons undone and gold chains out and bat flips, and do whatever they need to do out there, stick talk and all the rest. I mean, think about it. This this team's marketing tag this season was change the game. Change it. <laughs> Not go back to decades prior, but change the game. Go with the swagger. Go with the young folks. Be expressive. Change the game. And I think they were true to that that tagline this whole season and so far from what they've been doing. And you just hope that stays the same. And there's there's so there's that part to it. And then secondly, I think what at least angered the Sox fans, when you're not talking about necessarily the culture of it and just wanting to move along into a more fun, quote-unquote, era of baseball for the youngins, I think you also look at how they went about this managerial search or the lack thereof. And it's not only you, whoever was out there, you could have, you could have got anybody. You really could have, who wouldn't want to manage the Chicago white Sox team. Who was a free agent, no free agent coach out there would have thought one too many times about coaching this ball club. And it's not just about, turning it over to Tony La Russa because that's the guy that you're, you know, the owner of the team wants to give it to. But you also have to think this is a multi-year process, right? You have to think of it not just this year for the managerial shirts, but all the years leading up to it, everything Rick Hahn's done. And thankfully, or luckily, I don't think he's going to leave out of spite because screw that, <laughs> right? Like, if, if I was in his shoes and I put this whole damn thing together with obviously help of many others, but if you've been the ringmaster of this all this whole time, it sucks that prob- you were probably forced to hire a manager you didn't want. That does suck, but screw that and leaving. And I hope that's his, I hope that's his mindset too. Like, now stick around because if this team does win it all, you deserve to be there, right? He, <laughs> he deserves every single bit to be there. Um, but that's it was more than just this year in terms of the search. This has been a project, a project. And 
I think that this was seen as one of the very final pieces. There's still plenty to do out there in free agency, but when it comes to the manager who's probably only going to win or lose you five games in the regular season a year, maybe, maybe 10, maybe, you know, it's not too many games. I don't think the data will show you that a manager is going to win or lose for you, at least in the regular season. Uh, postseason, totally different story. That's going to be huge for Tony Larusa, but I'll give him this much, and this is why I've calmed down a little bit on it. Is he's always kind of been innovative. I mean, I know a totally different kind of bullpen structure that he quote unquote invented with you know going to this guy in the seventh or this guy in the eighth, and I'm, I'm definitely going to my closer in the ninth. I know that's a different, totally different style of bullpen setup, but he was innovative enough to really put his stamp on that in the game. And then when I think Tony LaRussa, I always think batting the pitcher eighth, right? Like he was willing to do things like that. He was willing to bat the pitcher eighth and make that part of his day in and day out strategy. Um, And then you look at there was times like I was literally just looking up this uh, baseball prospectus (laughs) article from 2015. And it was going to how there was multiple times he was cool with going with like three different groups of three different pitchers on like a three day rotation, you know, or something like that. Like he was willing to be innovative. And if the data gave him an edge, he would do it. And he's going to have a lot of metrics out there now available to him. He's going to have a lot of data out there now. And I think if you just look at what he's done in the past, it seems like he's always been open to that. He's always been open to strategize, to give himself the edge. So I don't think he'll be that. I don't know how much pushback he'll give to the analytics and the data because he's proven to be a guy who, even if it's a a little out of the norm, like batting the pitcher eighth, he'll do it because it gives him the edge. So there is that there. I know that I know that that there's still a whole lot of messiness with the hire. And when you look at just what he said on the record and a personality trait and how that mixes with the club, it's not necessary. It's almost like pepper and sugar just put into one. Like it's just not it, it doesn't seem like a fantastic recipe, but I'll be honest, Joey, as as a Sox fan and as somebody who really wants to see this work. It's what we got. Like, like I've reached that point of going through this the past few days, and it's like, all right, well, here's where we are. I could be upset at it like the majority of other people, and I once again, I think their view is rightfully so. I get it. I understand it. But now I kind of try to take the optimistic look and bring it back a little bit and say, you know what? What matters to me is that this club, both from a fun standpoint, from a social awareness standpoint – because that was a big issue, as long as hell, as long as they could still do that, which is going to be a thing that we are going to really put a, a, a nice scope on this year and, and pay close attention to that, as long as he just lets them do what they got to do and he's the strategy mind behind it, that's fine. I'll, we, could, we could probably get this thing done. Were there better names out there probably who are more equipped to the data or more hip to it, I should say, and probably a little more hip in the clubhouse? Kind of like an AJ Hinch who was around a fun, young, analytical team, trash banging team um, in 2017. Yes, yes, probably. But I think I've reached the point of, well, here's where we're at with it and how can it succeed? And I think I'm trying to give all the lovely listeners of our podcast reasons to believe 
in this club and reasons as to why this team can succeed, even though when that news went down, many of the White Sox faithful weren't too happy. Yeah, I, you know, those are interesting, interesting points. And, 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 and I think, well, I still think it's an outdated hire in terms of baseball strategy. There is an argument to be had that he's been able to adapt in every decade he's, he's managed. And I think the anger from White Sox fans and baseball fans stems much more on his views and his social like the issues on 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 yeah social awareness and cultural awareness and yeah. as well as the process of the hire. I think that's what kind of angered people the most. Yeah. Rick Hahn came out and said, "I am hiring Tony Larusa because I think he's the best manager for this team." I'd have no problem. I, I I'd question it because I'd be like, yeah. really? Like there's so many other guys out there. But if he did it, I trust it. But the fact that it was clearly an insular Jerry hire, it it yeah. it, it, it brings me those like heebie-jeebies of the bulls of 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 how they just operated. And it and it you thought the White Sox had gotten away from that, and it kind of crept back in. So I think that's kind of one of the big sides that fans got scared of. And the other was like we said, it's the social justice things, and 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 I hope he's learned from his comments and doesn't, you know, set this clubhouse back. But there, there's a reality here, and I, and he hasn't man. I mean, he's been in baseball in other capacities, but he hasn't managed. And there's a reality now that's happened in the last two to four years where athletes are way more than just the the men and women that they are on the field, and that's been embraced, like you said, rightfully so. Good, yeah, yeah. and and I love it. And and but I think that takes some getting used to if you haven't been in the game for a while to real you know that was the whole mantra with football like, well he's not focused enough on football he's not a football guy it's like well no now like you're supposed to be involved in your community and supposed to be involved in helping make the world a better yeah. place and so you know when <laughs> who would have thought right so 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 when you have an introductory press conference and they ask him about these things and he starts it off by listing. Every black oh, no. player he's coached and then says he's the least racist person you know, that's like a, oh, no, he's like, it's that kind of yeah. way it's going to be approached. And that's what I think worried a lot of people of this is just not a, a good fit from where we are as a as as a sports community that has become much bigger than just the games in the field. And that's what worries people more than the the baseball resume because there is a really good one there but it's everything else that comes into it that used to not not that it shouldn't have mattered but it used to not matter as much where where a manager or a coach or player stood politically or their views on social society it didn't it didn't factor in but now it does and that's why it's such a bigger a bigger sentiment among the white Sox fans regarding this hire yeah, and, and you know what? Trust me, it's it's not an age thing either in terms of something like that. Because look at Greg Popovich, who's very outspoken. And Correct. Doesn't matter what his age is. He he could he proves that he's still one of the best minds in the NBA and one of the most outspoken minds in the end. Just as outspoken as someone who is not nearly, you know, I won't say half his age, but you know, it reminds me of somebody else who's outspoken, like like a Steve Kerr or Van Gundy. I mean, there's plenty of players or plenty of coaches, I'm sorry, of all different ages. Popovich is coming to my mind as, as one of the older ones where it's not, not it's not really an age thing. It's 
you're obviously you being so many years of age means you're from a certain time <laughs> in America. It means you're around when there were quite a f- few beliefs that aren't nearly as popular today. And it's can you prove or do your best to prove that you are not really of those beliefs of back then. You also have changed your thought processes along the way, such as a Greg Popovich, who there's not much he says where you can argue otherwise. I mean, his his beliefs and his stances from what at least he puts out there, very pro-player popular, in my opinion, right. in terms of expressing themselves. So, but, but if you're the White Sox, why would you even want to go through this whole process of trying to defend it and hope he changes? Like, you better bet 150 million percent that the baseball side of it is worth it. Because otherwise, it's not. You know the answer to that question, and that's why I think it's a it's it's a totally different situation. If one, this team is not as outspoken, not as fun, not as swaggy, not as they're almost like the well, antithesis of each other. The the players and the, and the coach, like they they kind of are. So part of that mixed with the process, mixed with if this team wasn't on the cusp of a being in like a, the next, you know, five, three to five years and on the cusp of potentially winning a World Series title, they've proven that they could compete. And we all know if they stay healthy, this can be a pretty damn good team for the next few seasons. Like if the, if the Chicago White Sox, if this was a non COVID year and they finished the season 62 and 100, and then that's why they fired Renteria because the season was bleh and the players just weren't producing at all. And the rebuild just did not look like the rebuild it was supposed to look like. And now you bring in Tony La Russa. That's a, it definitely has a different feel on it for sure. But it's this team's DNA, what, what they've built themselves and how they portray themselves to be. And you're on the cusp of something real special here. And there's so many names you could have brought in. And you just hope that this doesn't really bring it down. <laughs> just think about, and I don't want to bring, I don't even want to think about this as a Sox fan, but I think there is this thought in people's minds where it would be a real damn shame, a real damn shame if because they went this route, things start taking a, a wonky turn. And, I don't necessarily know how much they will, because like I said, I, I think I think for the most part, La Russa has shown when he was a manager, he could be innovative. And I hope for the most part, he, he will stay out of the players' way and ways and try his best to do the right thing. But there is that smallish possibility out there where if things really go wrong in the clubhouse and on the field and all signs point to the manager, that will be a real damn shame and i think that because there's that small little possibility out there that it could just take a nosedive in the clubhouse and on the field you just hope <laughs> you hope that doesn't happen because right, so what so why unfortunate why right, take so, the risk right why you even take why? the risk <laughs> you know why it's so stupid it's not <laughs> worth it to me and the fact that you didn't even interview aj hinch and now he goes to manage the tigers in your own division to kill you for the next 10 years will be fun that that's that might be something that might be something but it's you're right i mean is it really worth taking that bit of a risk like you 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 guys are almost there like is it give larusa a front office job or something i don't know but he wants to be in the dugout and they're on the cusp of something special and that's who they're going with and i mean i i i, <laughs> I have enough faith that hopefully it won't turn out to anything drastic. But you know what's you know what's funny is 
even if he stays out of the player's way and he lets them do what they got to do and express themselves the way they want to express themselves and back them up, then that's awesome. But if and when that team makes the postseason for the next couple of years, if he makes the wrong moves, <laughs> wow, it's like everything Tony La Russa does in the postseason now, which I'm, I'm counting on my boys to be there for the next few seasons, that's going to don't don't make the wrong mistake because everybody's going to revisit the fact that it shouldn't have been you, right? Everybody's going to say it shouldn't have been him in the first place. Can we remember back in 2020 when they brought him in? It shouldn't even have been him. He is going to be highly, highly his moves in the postseason. That's what's going to come to the surface if he makes the wrong moves. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You said it. You said it best. It, it, he's going to be the most heavily scrutinized on and off the field manager we'll have for the next three years in this city. Easily, or, huh. or however, however long. long. Willing to stick around for it, yeah. Breaking yeah. the Connie Mack record of, of 80 <laughs> years old. Go. Hey, maybe. Wild. Let's see. Absolutely wild. All right, well, that's going to do it for us on today's Believe in Chicago Sports podcast. You can follow all of us on Twitter. I'm at Joey Gellman. He's at Tweet Dan Collins. The show is at Believe in Chicago on Twitter. Uh, we'll talk to you guys again on Thursday to give you the latest in Chicago sports news, whether that's Bears preview or anything else what? that <laughs> I don't even want to talk about it, or anything else that happens uh, during the week. And and not to be a, a, a political side of things here, but the election is Tuesday. And so no matter what side of the aisle you're on, I think it's important. Everyone needs to go out and make their voice heard and vote on Tuesday. Uh, it's really important. And I hope everyone can do it easily and safely and, you know, be a good American citizen like we all strive to be every day. That's civic duty. Right? Got to do, do it. Got to do it. So please, everyone, go vote and do it safely and smartly. I know this climate for everything and the pandemic is wonky. So It's it been a weird year? Just a little wonky. bit. Oh, okay. The Bears office, it's clunky. <laughs> the year's been wonky. There we go. We can have a good, been like a good that's carol. That's the of the podcast show today. That's, clunky that's and wonky. Oh, God. So on that note... Uh, Have a great, safe rest of your week, and we will talk to you again on Thursday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.